Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Everyone hyped up on Super Bowl Sunday? Feeling it? Those football fans? So I want to talk football for you for just a second. I know not everyone's a fan, but I'm going to talk about the other football, the original football, which we call in this country hockey. 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 That's in Canada. We don't do that down here. That's funny. Uh, soccer, right? So the original, the original football. Um, one of the reasons I love to play soccer is I love the team dynamic and like the celebration. I don't know if you notice this, but they don't score a lot of goals in soccer. And so anytime someone scores a goal, it's a big deal because that could just be game. It could be 1-0 and this game, that's, that's everything. It's not like, you know, basketball where it's like score, 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 and then time runs out and one of them has more. It's, it's, it's a little different than that. And so anytime you get close to scoring a goal in soccer, it's exciting, right? So you really enjoy it. And I love that moment when, when a team scores. There's some really ridiculous soccer celebrations in the world where, you know, just people like, Doing, all, uh, doing a lot of Fortnite moves is kind of a hot thing lately in soccer. I see players doing all this stuff. Uh, just doing all this fun, like people pile on each other. It's just really fun to celebrate as, as a team, right? And, and I love that. And I've played it some as an adult, and I love that moment. Uh, because mostly what I played growing up was golf. Golf is very different in, in that way. Like, when you do something awesome in golf, you turn around to high five, and there's nobody there, you know? It's just like, that. did you just... Uh, okay. And, you know, at least, at least like Tiger Woods has his caddy he can high-five. You see them do that, you know, like, like there's somebody there. I, I, I think I sh- every time I play golf, I should get a caddy just for that reason because otherwise it's a very, like, solitary experience. It's like, I did a great job. I guess I'll tell somebody about it later, and it won't ever sound as good when I tell the story. And, you know, that's, that's the difference. And I think the church is more soccer than golf. Yeah, there's a lot of solo activity in the church. You, you pray, and we talk about our personal relationship with Jesus, and there's, you go have quiet time with God and, all, and read the Bible, all that. There's solo activity. But I think, generally, the church is, is, is a group activity. It's a, it's a we thing, not a me thing, right? It is, a, it is a community, and it's designed to be that kind of community, a place where when someone mourns, we mourn with them. When someone celebrates, we celebrate with them. When someone's in the highs and in the lows, we're in the highs and the lows with them. That's the way the church is supposed to work. We're a community together. And I think that kind of community where we really do this thing together is in very short supply in America. I don't know if you've noticed the change in that in our culture over the last 50 years or more. But it used to be in America that, that you knew your neighbors the community was like, man, I know everybody who lives on my block and we're all friends and we have potlucks and bring casseroles over to people's houses when they move in and all that kind of stuff. There was, a, there was sort of a neighborhood sense of community. And then beyond that, you joined clubs, the Rotary Club and the VFW and, and all these different groups that were formed around common interests. And you were part of those clubs. And, and even church attendance. Church attendance in America was highest in the 1950s and 60s. In the whole history of America, there were more people going to church per capita in the 50s and 60s than at any time before that or since. Um, and so during that time, the way people would talk about church was not what church do you go to. What people would say is what church do you belong to. So we thought about church in the sense of belonging. I belong there. I'm a part of something. We didn't think about it in, like it's an event that we attend. Oh, where do you go? Oh, I go over here, like, like it's a concert. We thought about it in, in terms of belonging. We, we thought about the church was like a family, that we were gathered together around a common cause. That common cause is Jesus Christ. But we have become more fragmented as a culture, as a church, over the last couple decades. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think the internet, for all the good it 
promises us, uh, it, there, there's, some, there's some real downsides there. The internet promises to connect us, and I'm always amazed at how it does. I, I Skyped the other day with a friend of mine from the Netherlands, and we were talking, and I just thought, wow, this is incredible, you know? Like, it, you don't have to go back that far in history where if me and that friend wanted to communicate, I had to put a letter that went on a boat that he got, you know, like, like a couple months later. Like, how things have changed. So, yes, the, the possibility to connect digitally is fantastic. But I think with all the digital friendships that we have, we're losing a little bit of our ability to make actual friendships. In settling for the dopamine hits of someone liking what we're doing online, we've lost the actual art of just liking being together and, and, and connecting. Uh, a friend of mine went and saw a concert uh, a few years ago. He went to the Jay-Z concert. And he said, man, it was really good. And he said, um, he said, but the thing is, you know, like everybody takes out their phone, takes pictures. He goes, so when Jay-Z did Big Pimpin', I got out my phone. And I was like, I'm going to record this Big Pimpin'. This is awesome. You know, so he's like recording it. And he goes, you know what the truth is? I remember Big Pimpin' less than every other song at that concert because I was on the phone the whole time recording it. My memories are much stronger about everything else in the concert. And it's like, man, what a good reminder that sometimes the digital connection or the, the desire to capture the moment actually diminishes the moment. Maybe it's better to actually just be there. Uh, my wife and I sometimes lament that we didn't, have, we didn't have video of our wedding. But I think there's a good thing to that too. One, I don't want to watch that again. <laughs> like, that was a long time ago. Fashions have changed. Hair has changed. I just don't want to see it. But... But two, like, man, there's something good about it just living in the memory um, that, that, that we have of, of, and that we were able to just be in the moment and didn't think about videoing everything that, that went down. Um, so fragmentation has taken its toll on our society, and we are more divided than ever. And that's pretty weird considering that generally in the world, things are better than they've ever been. Poverty is down. Uh, clean drinking water is up. By almost any metric of, of civilization, things are quite good in the world. Even for minorities, for, for, for both genders, for, for all that, there, there are incredible opportunities all over the world, things have never been as good as they are now. Doesn't mean there aren't problems, doesn't mean there aren't things to work on, and there certainly are, but things are actually uh, pretty good if you look at the history of, of the world, and yet we are angry, and we are disengaged, and we are disconnected from one another, and, th and then we're depressed and fragmented, and we're outraged by everything, and we're not gracious about anything. And I think something needs to change there. We need to be we need to lean into becoming a stronger community of actual relationships, not just virtual ones. I think that's missing in society, and I think the church is a place where it actually can happen. We've been in this series called The Main Thing for this year, uh, starting, starting at the beginning of January, and we're going to go through next Sunday, looking at what is the kind of the main stuff of life? What is the most important things that are going on? Because we're all doing stuff. We're all going somewhere. We're all busy. Things are happening. But where is it going? What actually matters? And if, because I believe if we could get that right, if we could lock that in, it's going to set the course for everything else in our life. If we can get the foundation right, we can actually build something on top of it. And so we're looking at things that Jesus said. Jesus taught about the most important things in life, and we've looked at a couple things that he said the last few weeks. And the reason we're looking at Jesus is Jesus came back from the dead. Now, I know some of you don't believe that. I understand that. But we believe that Jesus died, and then a couple days later, he wasn't dead anymore. He was literally, actually, physically, completely dead, and then he wasn't. Okay? And I would just say that if somebody pulls that off, you should listen to them. You know what I mean? Like, that's not something anybody's just doing. 
Like, it's pretty impressive. So if, if he actually died and came back from the dead, we should probably pay attention to what he's saying because I bet he knows things. Like, he is playing chess and the rest of us are playing checkers because we all think you just live and then you die and that's it. And Jesus is like, nah, not even that. I can do something else. So I think it's important. It's crucial, especially for followers of Jesus. You've got to listen to what he's saying because if he didn't come back from the dead, then ultimately who cares what he taught? He's just another guy in the ancient world who taught some good things. Socrates did that. Plato did that. There's plenty of people that did nice things and said and taught things. But if he came back from the dead, we believe this guy can drop some knowledge and we should listen. So last week, Jesus was asked, what is, what is the main thing? And, and I want to take you back to that. We'll start there. This is what he said is the main thing. And he said to him, Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, of everything that's ever been written in the law, and he's talking about Jewish law, the Old Testament, all the commands, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not, of the Ten Commandments plus hundreds more, of all of that stuff, it all hangs on this idea that you love God and you love people. And I love that. I don't know about you, but I think that's great. I love the simplicity of it. I love that it's about love. You know, I feel it. I, I, I think it's fantastic um, that he hangs everything, all this legal language, all wraps up around this idea that we are, what we're supposed to be doing in the time that we have on earth is loving God as much as we can with all of us, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then loving people, loving our neighbors. And if we would do that, so many other things in our lives would fall into place. But the devil's in the details. Love is easy to talk about. Love beyond reason is easy to print on a banner. It's just really hard to live out, isn't it? When the rubber hits the road. Because what happens, what happens when we say we love each other but we have different viewpoints? What happens when we're so committed to one cause and you're committed to like an opposite cause and we disagree and yet we're supposed to love each other and we're supposed to think well of each other? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we love well? That's actually not a new problem in the world. Uh, that's an ancient problem. In the early church, Things were pretty awesome for the church early on. If you read the book of Acts, which is a history book in the New Testament, you see the church is born, and people are coming to know Jesus. People are getting baptized left and right. When people pray, the walls are shaking. Uh, people are getting freed from prison. People are being healed from diseases. Like, incredible things are going on in this early church, and it is just like a ripple effect kind of exploding out of Jerusalem for the first couple decades of the church. Things are going extremely well. And then churches get started around the Mediterranean, Greece and Turkey and some other places. Paul, one of the missionaries of that early church, he starts some of those churches that, that were planted in those places. And something happens there where things start to go a little bit off the rails. They found loving each other well to be pretty difficult to live out. It was all well and good when it was like happening in Jerusalem. It was all exciting. But as it went out, there were some challenges. And you start to see some cracks develop in the foundation. In fact, the church at Corinth was a hot mess of a church. It's funny when people say, a lot of people say in the church, I just want to be like, we, we just want to make our church now in 20, 2019. We want to make our church like the early church. And I'm like, which early church? Because they were all a mess. Like there's stuff in all of them. And you look at the church in Corinthians um, and you look at what kind of mess they were. Listen to what Paul says to them. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. I, Chloe has people and they reported that there's, there's something going on. She was letting Paul know, like, something's going on over here, right? So there's fights going on. 
in the church. And Paul says, look, I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to agree. I want you to root out divisions. Yeah, you're going to have some, some challenges, but I want you to work through those things. You guys are supposed to be united. You're supposed to be like-hearted, of the same heart and mind, and you have to do the hard work to acknowledge that there's sin, to be reconciled to each other. Um, the early church, they had a hard time with this, and it's no easier today. There's, there's plenty of challenges around unity. There's challenges in this church around unity because we're in the city, and it's not like everybody here agrees with everybody on everything in the city, right? There's divergent views on a whole bunch of things, political, social, cultural, religious, theological, philosophical, all of these things are represented, right? All of them are in the city. A lot, of, a lot of divergent views even exist in this room right now. And the temptation with all these divergent views is to let our side things become the main thing, to say, like, all these side issues matter more than the main issue because the main issue for us is love God, love people. Let's keep that at the heart. But we can easily get divided. Social media fuels the division, I read an article recently that said that, um, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Facebook is driven by ad money, right? And so what they want is for you to use their product a lot, like, like many other online things, right? Well, one, one of the ways they've discovered they can get you to use their project is to get you outraged, use their product to get you outraged and get you fearful. Because outrage and fear are very strong in the human psyche. And so they've got people with PhDs from places like MIT and Stanford who live and, and work towards making you addicted to their product through the use of outrage, fear, and division. I don't love that, do you? I don't love that there are people way smarter than me that are working on that at all times. And I, and I, some, and I, I, I sort of doubt my ability to resist it and, and to not get sucked in. And so there are actually market forces invested in driving us apart. I don't mean sound all conspiracy theory, but let's be honest about what's going on. And if we're going to go another level, if, if I'm going to spiritualize this, I would say Satan is real and is invested in driving us apart. He doesn't want us to come together to be like-hearted, to be like-minded, because then we'll actually accomplish something. Satan wants us to be fighting over every side issue so that we can't be effective as a faith community. He wants to destroy us. So we have opportunities as a church here in the city, but we can expect that we're going to meet some opposition. Listen to how Paul gives instructions. Paul is teaching that there's a church, uh, there's several churches in Galatia. Galatia is kind of the central part of modern-day Turkey. And in the south part of that, of that country, um, Paul established some churches. And he gives them some instructions about how they are to function together as a community in the book of Galatians. A lot of Paul's letters to churches are, here's some doctrine, here's some teaching, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and then here's ways that we walk it out, here's what we should be doing with it. So at the, towards the end of this book, Galatians 6, um, he starts giving some instructions about how they are to function together in unity. Galatians 6, starting with verse 1, I'll put it on the screen. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul says, look, if, here's how the community should, should function. Um, if someone sins, they're caught in transgression, you need to go try to restore that person gently. Now it says, um, caught in any transgression. And when I read that, I thought it means like you were caught in the act oh, we, we caught somebody doing something really bad, and so uh, we're going to go call them out on it in the moment. 
But actually, what it's getting to is the idea of being ensnared, that you are stuck on something, that you are addicted to something, that you are just caught up in this web of something, and you're, you're kind of in it, and you're having a hard time getting out of it. And he says, look, if any of you, if any of you in the church is in that situation, um, you who are spiritual or other members of the body, you need to come around that person and in a spirit of gentleness, not in a spirit of judgment, because that doesn't work, in a spirit of gentleness, you need to try to restore that person and help them along. And you need to watch yourself that you don't get tempted uh, along the way. And so what this tells me is that in a community, when we, number one, when we live in community, we deal with sin. When we live in community, we deal with sin. Put that up on the screen. This is, what, this is what freaks people out. We, we, we don't like the idea that sin is talked about or dealt with at all, in, really in any part of our lives. And so the idea that in a church we're going to talk about or deal with our sin, especially with other people and all of their judgment, we don't like the idea. I, I could say, hey, get, get in a small group. Get to know some people in the church. And there's a part of you, you may not say it out loud, but maybe there's a part of you that goes, I don't want those people to know my stuff whoever they are. I don't want to join in with them and have them know what I'm, what I'm going through, and it kind of freaks us out. Um, but the reality is we all blow it. We all, we all mess up. Not just make mistakes. We all make mistakes, of course. But when you're making mistakes over and over of the same exact same kind, we can stop calling them mistakes at some point, right? They're willful things. We're doing them over and over on purpose. That's not a mistake. That's called a sin. We don't say we're mistakers. We say we're sinners, there's a reason for that because we know, man, there's some darkness in here. And, and you need to deal with it. I need to deal with it. We all need to wrestle with it. There's some, there's some stuff that we deal with. And we need to confess our sins to one another. And as a community, if we're going to continue to grow, we have to do that. Um, because growth will come from the struggle with that stuff. Growth does not come from being awesome all the time. Growth comes from the hard times. As a church, as individuals, growth comes from wrestling with sin. Growth comes from reaching the end of our rope because until you reach the end of your rope, you're always going to think, I've got rope, I can keep using it. Until you reach the end and hold on to God's rope, you're not really going to change. You're not really going to, to grow. And I know that freaks people out. It's why you don't join a small group, part of the reason. A lot of people will say, you know, will say, hey, small groups are starting, get in a group. And a lot of people say, well... This is just a busy season. I can't right now. I'm in a busy season. Here's what I've noticed about a busy season. When we were planning a wedding, it was a busy season. When we first got married, because we had a lot going on and we were able to run with like almost no limits, right? It was a busy season. Um, when we were getting ready and getting our house ready for our first child to come along, it was a busy season. When we had a newborn in the house, it was a busy season. Man, that was crazy, just the exhaustion and just the, all, all that. And then when we had preschoolers and sort of elementary school kids and it was a busy season. Now that our kids are getting a little older, um, they need to be carted everywhere, and they keep wanting to go places. Uh, and it's a busy season. And it, like, so I don't know when this non-busy season comes, because I know we all say it, man. It's just a busy time right now. I'm busy. This is why I can't be in a group. I can't get involved. It's a busy season. It might be when you're dead. There won't be a busy season then. I think. But my experience of 21st century American life is it's all a busy season. So if that's our reason for not leaning into community, for not being part of a group, for not blocking out the time to get to know other people, to know and be known, to love and be loved, to care and be cared for, if we're not willing to do that because it's a busy season, then we're just not willing to do that ever because that's just the way it's going to be. 
And, and I think the, the truth is that underneath all of that, all of our, it's a busy season, all of our excuses, we don't want to be vulnerable with people. We're scared of that. We don't want people to know our stuff. We're afraid of their judgment. Why? Because we need to keep up appearances. We need to keep pretending to be something. We need to keep managing our image. But if we're going to grow to be, to be like Christ, we have to let someone know us. And we have to confess and deal with our, our sin. Continuing on, let me read you the next couple of verses. Galatians verse two, 6, verse 2. He says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing... He deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. In the community of faith, we bear each other's burdens. Now, Paul says two things that seem contradictory here. First, he says, basically like, we're supposed to bear each other's burdens, and then at the end of that verse, in verse 5, he says, each one's supposed to carry their own load. And you read that and you go, well, which is it? Am I supposed to be lifting stuff with everyone around me? Or am I supposed to be just carrying my own thing and and being responsible for myself? And I think the distinction there, and a lot of commentators have pointed to this, the distinction there is that when he says each one should carry his own load, he's talking about the regular stuff of life, your job and and just kind of like family and sort of the, the typical life stuff that we go through. Every person should carry their own, basically. You carry that stuff, the, the normal load of life. But sometimes things get a little bit extra. Someone dies, you're laid off. Um, there's a fragment in, in relationships or things at work, right? Um, and sometimes it, it's a lot. And at that point, Paul says, the community of faith is supposed to bear each other's burdens. We're supposed to go, man, like you're carrying that heavy thing. Let me come along. We'll carry that thing together. Let's walk along as, as a family, as a, as a team. Let's bear each other's burdens. And as a church, we're trying to do that, and I think we have room to grow. There's more that needs to be done. We're developing a, a care team who look at prayer requests, and they look for where, are, where, where do people need someone to walk with them, and, and we're, we're kind of doing a training program for people who want to learn how to walk better alongside people. We've sent people through Barnabas training, some other, other things here, and we're trying to help people become good care support for people in our church so that when people are walking through stuff, someone can sit with you and kind of help carry that burden with you. But outside of that, this is part of what our small groups actually exist for. You join a small group because you want to know people and be known. You want to love and be loved. You want to care and be cared for. That's the idea behind a small group. And when you are in a group that meets at somebody's house in the near West End on a Wednesday night or over here on a Sunday or whatever, when you join a group like that, the idea is that is where care is going to happen. If you believe in that group that you need me to come to your house when you're sick, you're going to be very disappointed because I don't have that much time. None of us on staff can split that many ways. It doesn't scale. It doesn't work. What works is in your small group, you get to know those folks and you bear each other's burdens as a a family. That means when someone in your small group is cared for by the group leader, that is being cared for by this church. That's how it works. Those people who are leading are, 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 are sort of like a, a, another layer of shepherds within the church. The, the, the family within the community, within the small group, caring for one another. That's how this is supposed to work, and that is an extension of this church. It's not, will staff come and visit me, who the, the paid staff of the church. No, we're organizing some things, but the care is happening uh, on that level of, of small groups, and that's the way it's supposed to work. So that's why we ask you to get in a small group so you can get to know people. 
Because you've got things that they need, they've got things that you need, and you're going to grow together. For Area 10 to work as a community, it has to be a, a we, not a me thing. And I know that flies in the face of our culture. I know our culture says that it's all about you, and, 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 and people make ads designed to get you to spend your money on things for you, and it's all your choice. But there's extreme downsides to a culture that believes it's all about you all the time. We'll talk about them in a couple weeks here. But there's some significant angst and anxiety that comes from a culture that is designed to be all about you all the time. It's an incredible amount of, of pressure uh, when we overemphasize me versus we. It's damaging. So we need to walk a different road. I, I was thinking about sort of maybe like a philosophical root underneath our culture. And I was thinking about Descartes' famous cogito ergo sum, right? Uh, I think, therefore I am. And if you think about it, that drives so much of um, Western thought, and it kind of underlies our, our beliefs. It, it's, man, I, I think, I exist, um, therefore I am. My, my existence, my, um, my being is rooted in me, in my thoughts, and like the way I see the world, that is what brings meaning and existence to, to my life, right? I think, therefore I am. It's, it's all wrapped up in there. And I think we're missing something when we really buy into that consciously or maybe subconsciously. The, uh, the, the, there's a, there's a a word in Africa, in, in, in some cultures, that kind of is very different than I think, therefore, I am. The word is Ubuntu, and it means I am because we are. I am because we are. Uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu uh, talked about it, a social activist. He says this, Africans have a thing called Ubuntu. We believe that a person is a person through other persons, that my humanity is caught up, bound up, inextricably with yours. When I dehumanize you, I dehumanize myself. The solitary human being is a contradiction in terms. Therefore, you seek to work for the common good because your humanity comes into its own in community, in belonging. And I love that your humanity comes into its own in community and in belonging. Let's learn something from our African brothers and sisters. There's, there's something there that challenges the way we live in this culture. And it challenged us to go, man, there's something missing in me when I'm just about me. There's something missing in me when I'm not a part of the we. There's something I'm not offering. There's something I'm not receiving. There's, a, there's an emptiness there of being about myself all the time. And, and let, let's let that challenge us. I am because we are. We find our place in this world through others. And this is missing in the church. Um, author Brian McLaren writes about what he's heard about judgment within the church. He says this, one of the most heartbreaking stories I hear from my spiritual but not religious friends again and again runs like this. When I tried to find a community where I could deepen my spirituality, I was judged and turned away because I wasn't spiritual enough. These inhospitable communities are like banks who won't give you a loan unless you prove you need it, or health insurers that won't insure you unless you prove you're already healthy, which actually there is, that, that, that actually just happened, and they help give religion a bad name. I pray that that's not true of our church. Um, may that never be us. We want to be a place where people can come in and have stuff 
because we all have stuff, and be broken because we all have brokenness. I, I pray that we're a community that's, that connects. Now, look, it's easy to talk about. When I get up here and say, you need more community in your life, everybody can be like, nod and agree, you know? Everyone will be like, yeah, like, I need the connection. Can I get, can I get a connection? Like, yeah, yeah, that's, I'm feeling that. Like, I need that. That's easy to talk about, but here's the truth. To get it, to get community, to get the connection, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to give up a night of watching Netflix. You're going to have to give up, um, you know, being involved in that other thing. Like, you're going to have to carve out space. You might, it might cost you time. It might cost you money. It's going to cost you something, but I truly believe it's worth it. So my challenge to you is this, and then we're done. Join a group. Small groups start today. There's groups happening uh, throughout town, throughout the week. If you haven't signed up for a small group, sign up for one today. If you're brand new to Area 10, sign up for the starting point group. It is a great, great class. Uh, you'll get to know people in there. Um, it, it's just a great entry point. Join starting point today, and, 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 you'll get, and, and you'll know and be known, love and be loved, care and be cared for. It's, it's a great start to that. Um, join our, come to our partnership class. We, we, we say, hey, you know, come out of the shadows. It's dark in the bird theater. Get, get to know people and become part of the church. Join the church as a member. We're doing a class for that next Saturday morning over here at 2810. Come on and sign up for that. Sign up for any of that today. Small groups, there's financial peace, there's a, there's a, a business entrepreneurs group. Like there's all sorts of options out there. Sign up for that stuff. Join the partnership class, starting point, whatever. Um, and, and, and get on that, in on that and, and really invest in, in, in we, not me. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your dream of the community that this would be, that you saw potential in the church, in the gathering of saints, that people would come together and would learn to love well, that this, that this community would be a place where we can disagree and grow, where we could struggle and change um, where we could um, come in limping and get bandaged, where we could then turn around and try to help bandage others. I, I pray that we are that community. God, I, I confess I fall short of that sometimes, that I, um, I don't live up to what, what you called us to be. Um, and God, um, I, I, I confess that sort of as a church, we, we, we fall short of living up of what you're calling us to be. So God, may we be better moving forward, and, uh, and really grow to be all that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.